Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 303 of the Weird Science DC Comics podcast. I am sitting here drinking my coffee. You can't be a nonconformist if you don't drink coffee. That is very, very true. And I'm going to be talking about three books. I like the killing. I don't know why that came up there wrong term, but I'm going to be talking about three books tonight, two digital first books, one regular book. But before we get into that, let me tell you where you can find us all around the Internet. So you can go over to Twitter at Weird Science DC. Follow us. We will follow you back. Go over to our website, WeirdScienceDCComics.com, and you can read all of our reviews. Most of the books each and every week now coming out Tuesday will be on the site with written reviews by myself, Eric, and a lot of other people. Dan, Joey, we have a ton of things going on there, so check that out. We also have a YouTube channel that is Weird Science Comics because I do video reviews of both Marvel and DC books over there. And we have a Patreon account at patreon.com slash weird science, where if you go, give us a little support and get a ton of shows in return. One of the big things is our DC Comics Patreon spotlight, where we do two books picked by the bad butts of the Get Fresh Crew. What up, Fresh Cup Crew? The Fresh Cup Crew, he said. And those this week were Batgirl number 47 and Shazam number 13. So if you want to hear us talk about those and get some of the weird science stuff a little ahead of time, that sort of thing, go over and sign up. But like I said, I'm going to be talking about three books. And I'm going to start with the book that is a regular release book, though. After the shutdown, it actually shocks me that it is. And that is Amethyst. All right, and it's Amethyst number four in particular. It's written by and art by Amy Reader. I'm a huge Amy Reader fan. I'm a huge Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur fan. So going in, I am here for Amy Reader. Unfortunately, Amy Reader is not here for me. Right? Oh, my. So uh, you have colors by Marissa Luis and letters by Gabriella Downey. And you jump into the series, and when it first came out, I was looking forward to it mainly because it's something that drives Eric crazy, the whole gem world nonsense. So when I ended up reading the first issue, I was impressed. I actually said to Eric, I think that we will talk about this on the regular podcast. I think you'll like it. And he read it, and he did. It, it shocked everyone. It was like, he likes it, he likes it. It's it's Mikey with Life Serial, it was. And everybody was excited. Well, we read the second issue, not so great. Eric bailed, never read the third issue, so I'm here by myself for the last two. But with the shutdown, you're going to get a lot of trouble getting back into some books, especially books that don't really mean that much to you. Again, these are books that I'm reviewing for the podcast. I would not have this on my pull list. So this isn't something that... When it comes out, I'm rushing to read it. I'm rushing to get to it. It's not me picking it up from the store, bringing it home. So when I get back to the story, because the third issue really didn't impress me, I thought that it started to get all over the place. This middle issue of this mini series, I thought was already showing Amy Reader was losing track and losing grip on the entire story that she's trying to tell. So when I jump into this issue, I was completely confused. I mean, I know that they ended up getting to the kingdom of 
uh, Dark or uh, Lord Dark Opal. So when you get okay, I understand that. But the problem I really was having was just just the characters and what they're doing and what's the overall thing. So I did go back and read issue three. It didn't help me. And and really, I think that this series has pretty much became not important to anybody, including Amy Reader. I don't think this is something that is well done anymore. I don't think there's any sort of story. The basic story is Amethyst goes back to Gemworld. And she ends up finding out that her mom and dad didn't die when she was born. And the idea that her whole house amethyst has been captured, being held. As we've gone, the little twist is is that they were bad. They ended up going against the rules. And my problem with all this is as you go through, you'll have amethyst, you know, react to things. You'll have a react. What? You know, House Amethyst, not follow the rules, no way. And it's almost as if we're supposed to understand that that's something that is so crazy to even think of. But if you haven't read any Amethyst going into this, and I would suspect that the little people who are buying it, not all of them have. They're they're looking to Amy Reader to set things up, and nothing has been set up in this book. This book has been so scattered that you end up just just remember Foss, the multi-limbed girl that ends up hanging out and helping Amethyst, had that girlfriend in issue two on the boat that was a big Earthophile who disappeared. We we haven't like she was set up more than half the things in this, and she hasn't been seen since. So the things that were set up seem to have been pushed aside, and nothing's really. It's just been almost like a runaway train, never coming back. Of Amethyst just walking around Gemworld and see what what gives, what's up. And so when they do end up getting to the castle of Lord Dark Opal, they're outside, and you're getting. More of Amethyst. Oh, man, that that dark opal, he's bad news. Oh, man, he's bad news. He's bad news. But we don't know this. We haven't seen him. And, in fact, he's not the bad guy, really. Though he is, but he isn't. And they're outside. And at one point, it looks like they're going to ring and run. They're going to ding-dong ditch and get the hell out of there because Amy doesn't want to press the button. It says to enter press here. She doesn't want to press the button. Foss is arguing. Prince Aquamarine, he's arguing. We got to go in. You know, everybody can go in. No, 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 I don't want to go, you know. Well, he's under house arrest. He's here. He's under house arrest from the house diamond. They're going to be, oh, well, what happened if we end up going in and the house diamond guards don't know why we're here? All right. It's just yakety yak because then Foss just presses the button and they go in. Even the beginning spells out where Amy is talking and, you know, through this whole deal, you get a little flashback of Lord Opal being bad, kind of. But you end up, yeah, I like cartoons when I grew up. And all those bad guys in the in the fantasy cartoons, man, they were tough. You know, a lot of times they just did things because they were bored. But it, that never ties into Dark Lord Opal. Because then it's like, yeah, and then Opal, yeah, he's just evil incarnate. Uh, what? You're not setting anything up. You're just telling us nonsense. You're just filling the page. So when they do go into the castle of Dark Opal, we get a little mention of, oh, my God, this is a levitator. No, no, it's an elevator, Amethyst. You just have nonsense. They end up, they do go and confront Dark Opal. 
who says, oh, Princess Amethyst, how you doing? Yeah, I, I didn't do anything. I'm under house arrest. But but you're the one who told me my mom and dad were dead. Oh, yeah, about that. We were both tricked. I thought they were dead. And and so it's just you're like, why? And so with Dark Opal, the one thing that I do think that was a, a kind of a cool concept or line is the idea that Dark Opal says, listen, you really think that if your parents were alive and I knew about it, they'd still be alive? And, and the fact that you're telling me that all of House Amethyst is trapped in Amethyst, I'd just crush them down right now. I'd kill every single one of them, and I'd dance around in their purple dust. I mean, I that, that's what I do. I'm a bad guy. I'm not the bad guy in this situation, but I'm the bad guy. I'm the main bad guy in Gemworld. So, yeah, I'm bad. Just didn't do this. But I, I want to maybe find them now and, and do it, but I didn't do it. And so with that, you end up having two guards from House Diamond that are watching the whole deal with Dark Opal, who seems to be just kind of, you know, strapped to his throne. Well, here's where I start to go, like, why? Why Why are you doing it? Because he's able then, he says he kind of learned this from House Amethyst, but he's able to control the Opal to get these spiders to attack the guards to get, but this would be something in my mind, like a Magneto in the MCU, in the movies, where you have Magneto, you, you don't get any sort of metal near this guy. You can't. If you get metal, he's going he's gonna to be a bad butt. You end up, how are they even doing? Why would they allow him to even access anything? And it doesn't seem like there was a trick to do this. He just does it. He ends up these spiders kind of go consume the diamond uh, guards and then he beheads them and then the attacks on and and all this is going on with fights and it's confusing it's not real exciting you just have people yelling and screaming you don't even know really what's going on until amy remembers that she got that clear quartz amplifier from the band last issue and then just holds it atop her head and yells stop which then pretty much obliterates all of the opal, which then kind of makes this whole throne room that's now a gyroscope end up falling apart and burying opal in a pile of stuff. And then he starts yelling, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you and your parents. Again, your dog too. Starts to have some fire, Scarecrow. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. They go off like yelling, like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, sayonara, sucker. They leave and then go outside of Opal's castle and act as if they had no idea that it was in des- they they got there. They they might have come the back end there, but they're going off to House Diamond now to try to figure out if they can save Amy's mom and dad and House Amethyst. It's just the same thing. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. They go off. And then you're going to make this play that Amethyst now is like a snooty royal, even though for most of her life she was just a regular girl on Earth. And so you're doing all this. I mean, she didn't even know that she was Princess Amethyst until her 13th birthday. But you're going to play this royalty card of how she looks down on everyone and how she is snooty, which then leads Prince Aquamarine to say that he hates royalty for them to say how can you hate royalty because you are royalty for him to say i'm not really 
royalty. I'm just a target. I'm a dupe and I miss my mommy and you're keeping her. And then she just goes off. He leaves. And I just what the heck just happened? I don't understand what I, I, I'm telling you. I am an Amy reader fan. I don't know what the hell is happening in this book now. Prince Aquamarine goes off into the desert. He's already, I, there's water around here. And Amethyst goes, no, there isn't. And th- there's the thing. I need, you know, Paul and John to come and sing. We could work it out or something here where there is water. There isn't. There is. There isn't. I'm out of here. It, it pretty much plays off. It's R2-D2 and C-3PO. And, you know, Prince Aquamarine, he's, I guess, R2-D, he goes off. And so then you end up having Amethyst turn on Foss. Yeah, I don't know about you either, jerk. But she's just like, I don't understand. Why are you yelling at me? I just kind of want to be your friend. And you're the most hopeful person I've ever met, which she hasn't been. And then you get this way. Uh, you get amethyst i'm really sorry about your people i can't believe i missed that is she saying that to me because i missed it too i don't even know what the hell they are talking about anymore there's a sandstorm coming up and they're gonna hide you know kind of alongside stan the the caterpillar when this whole sandstorm comes and buries them but then they're pulled out by prince aquamarine who now has some guys with them, and they tie up Foss and Amethyst and drag them into what now appears to be a giant lush forest from where they went. What happened? You couldn't see this before. Like Nothing happens in this book that makes any damn sense. I, I don't even know what's going on. I really don't know what's going on anymore. So we'll have to see, but this is complete and utter nonsense I, I look at the reviews please if anybody's listening to this that did one of the reviews on comic roundup get a hold of me and give me the cliffs notes i need to know what you're seeing to give this nines and eights because it is complete and utter nonsense there is no reason to read this book you have a property that would struggle to get people to read on a good day. This isn't a good day. This is not Ice Cube going down the streets of Compton saying today was a good day. This is a bad day. This book is is just goofy nonsense. And I, I can't even have fun with it because everybody's yelling at all the time. Every time I see Amethyst herself, she has this look where her mouth kind of looks like Mr. Ed. And she's looking one way while her mouth is going the other, almost looking around over. It happens all the time in this book. And if you have read it, you may know what I'm talking about. It drives me nuts, though. It makes me giggle. She's always doing that. Why the long face, Amethyst? Why? Why? And that's what I say overall. Why? Why? Because I'm going to give this. I'll, I'll be nice and give it a five. Uh, I I don't know who I can suggest this to. I really don't. Uh, at points, it's been suggested to me that this is a really good all-ages book. You want an all-ages book with Amy Reader? Go over to Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur. Do that, where you get a smart, 
Batgirl, one of the smartest in the MCU, so smart that it pissed all these guys off that she's so smart, smarter than Reed, all these, and they lost their mind. I like that sort of thing. So that, but this is, I, I think that if you would give this to a young boy or girl to read this, I think they'd be like, this, this is, hey, mommy and daddy, the, this is the crap you're reading. This is why I watch the YouTubes and, and play the video games. <laughs> I'm back to Call of Duty here, mommy and daddy. You keep these comic books. I don't want any parts of them because this is just nonsense. But I'm going to move on to a couple other books that actually do serve a better purpose, do serve as a gateway into characters, into books. I've talked about this before, this digital first stuff that a lot of it being pulled from the Walmart giant books, their MO really is to get new readers on board. So a lot of times because of that, you do get stories that are a little bit dumbed down. You end up getting them a little more generic, a little more, you know, not so hard hitting, but at least you get something. And we'll go off to them after a quick message. Hey, everybody, let me tell you what you should go and do. You should go over to audible.com slash the Sandman to listen to the new Audible original, The Sandman, based on the best-selling DC graphic novels written by Neil Gaiman. The audio drama is adapted and directed by Dirk Maggs. The Sandman was hailed by the Los Angeles Times Magazine as the greatest epic in the history of comic books. It is pretty damn good. I mean, it really, really is. And this Audible audio adaptation has been decades in the making, starring James McAvoy, who most comic fans will know in the role of Professor X. He is in the title role here, Morpheus the Dream Lord, as he's pulled from the dream realm and imprisoned on Earth. When he finally escapes, he must restore his power to rebuild his dominion. And that's just the start. The audio adaptation features a powerhouse ensemble cast, including Riz Ahmed, Kat Dennings, Michael Sheen, and more. And in your wildest dreams, you've never heard anything like this, but you can now. And you could do that by going to audible.com slash the Sandman. You can go right now. Listen now. It's only available on Audible. It's really good. Check it out. And now. Back to the show. All right. And we're going to start off the digital section of this podcast with Gotham Knights, Batman Gotham Knights, number 14. This is the oddest issue I've read in any of these digital books. Now, first off, Batman Gotham Knights, get rid of Batman in the title, call it Gotham Knights and give me a book that's like Baywatch Knights. Oh, that'd be cool, right? Well, you end up. We'll just go through. There's three words in the title, Batman, Gotham, and and Knights. And this is N-I-G-H-T-S, just like Baywatch Knights. Well, the first story in this book does not have Batman. It's not set in Gotham, though it is at night. So we're one for three. If we're playing baseball, we're doing a heck of a job. We're batting 333. We're an all-star. Now, the second issue... It doesn't have Batman. It is in Gotham. I don't think it's at night. So we still are only batting 333. Now, again, that great in baseball. Not great when you have a book here. There's no Batman to be found at all. And just the first story is a Deathstroke story in Metropolis with Supergirl and Jimmy Olsen. 
Very, very odd, though. Written by Tom Taylor. Pencils by Daniel Sampari. Inks by Juan Alboran. Colors by Adriana Lucas. And letters by Tom Napolitano. And it seems as if Deathstroke has been called into Metropolis to take care of some meddling kid who's been photographing things that he shouldn't. And they're down at the docks. These gangsters are hiring Deathstroke, all this. You're in Metropolis. Somebody, a kid is taking photos. You know it's Jimmy Olsen. So you got to be like, well, Deathstroke's going to kill Jimmy Olsen. This is, this is pretty dark. Well, you end up seeing that Deathstroke prepares where he ends up pressing a detonator button. And pretty much it looks like half of the Daily Planet explodes. This is so that this will be the focus of Superman. You know, and and maybe kill everybody that we know and love, you know, Lois, Perry, they don't have that. But you end up, so you have that set up, and even these gangsters, hey, when did you set that up? We just hired you a second ago. I did that three weeks ago. You know, it's good to be prepared. And you go in, and, and this issue... The story's not great It's it's very surface level It's very quick There's not much to it. it Tom Taylor doing it I expect more from him Especially on the digital side So it's just a half issue This is split up between two two different stories here But you end up where basically Then Deathstroke goes Seemingly kills two cops Because Jimmy took pictures Cops are dying He ends up fighting them, and as he goes to pretty much decapitate Jimmy Olsen, he ends up even saying, because Jimmy Olsen, Superman, Superman, where are you? Deathstroke says, you know how many people yell for Superman each and every day? I mean, every minute. You're not, Superman's not coming. Plus, I just blew up the Daily Planet. Well, Superman doesn't come. Supergirl does. She ends up blocking, deflecting, and shattering Deathstroke's sword. And so now we're just going to get pretty much an issue that shows you that Deathstroke is a badass who prepares for things. He ends up throwing grenades that are part kryptonite, part lead. So you end up slowing down. He says it's not enough to kill Supergirl. You know, now he has morals. But it's also going to make a cloud of lead that she will not be able to see through to see him. That's pretty cool. He's going to escape. Before he does that, he just opens fire with his gun. Should know that's not going to do anything to Supergirl. He doesn't want to kill Supergirl with this grenade, but he certainly is trying to kill a young kid who just takes photos. But so all this is going on. He skedaddles. And when the kryptonite lead smoke clears, Supergirl says, okay, Jimmy, I'll smell you later. Jimmy says, thanks a lot, Supergirl. You're awesome. And then looks. And the shattered sword is through Jimmy's camera. Oh, that Deathstroke, you've done it again. And that's all it is. It's it's pretty much nonsense. It's it's okay. There's just not much to it. When you get done, all I can think of the whole time, I'm like, where's Batman? At least take it to Gotham. I mean, crazy, crazy deal that this is in Batman Gotham Knights. Well, the next story is in Gotham, but Batman won't arrive. But it is a story about Killer Croc. I like Killer Croc. I like Whalen. So you end up, it's called Monster. It's written by Frank Thierry, art by Tyler Kirkham, colors by Arif Priano, and letters by Tom Napolitano. This one kind of makes me laugh because, again, I said, you have these digital books that 
at one point were really pushed, oh, they're they're all ages or, or close enough. They're going to be able to be a gateway for kids. Kids are in Walmart. They go, oh, mom, mom, get the Walmart giant there. I like the Batmans. And then they'll get that. They get a big bang for their buck. There's a couple, you know, one new story and then a bunch of classics. So they end up reading these. They get inspired, eventually go to the comic book store and then start a podcast. Right. This is how things roll. Well, you end up having this one where it is Killer Croc. And I always like Tyler Kirkham's art. Tyler Kirkham at one point was on, we just talked about Deathstroke, was on the Deathstroke book and the New 52 DCYLU. And I really liked it. And this kind of reminded me of the art that you would have had in that. But it is Killer Croc who is robbing a bank. He ends up pretty much knocking some people around. He's a big Killer Croc. He says to the lady, the teller, you know, go fill up my bags of the money. You better get back soon or I'm going to kill everybody here. And this woman recognizes him and says, oh, yeah, okay, Killer Croc. I mean, Whalen. And you end up where a Killer Croc. What? Whalen? How? Julie? Oh, my God. It can't be you. Now, there are times when a writer will write Killer Croc in a sympathetic manner. Also, in a man- like one of them was the... Uh, Genevieve Valentine, Killer Croc in the Catwoman book, of Gen- was pretty cool. He was kind of helping Catwoman. He was a guy. A- at one point, you ended up having Killer Croc is the kind of AA sponsor of Jason Todd and Roy Harper. And uh, actually, I meant Roy Harper more than Jason Todd. But even so, with all this going on, you have these bits where a Killer Croc is a good guy. Or at least trying enough, he's just a monster to everyone else. And he's kind of forced into this light because of what he looks like. Well, this kind of is what you kind of think this is until it isn't. And it's weird because you end up seeing that Julie was somebody who was in the traveling circus, Coney Island freak show type deal with the Gator Boy old you know whalen before he was killer croc and all the kids would throw things at him and make fun of him everybody's laughing and you have this julia would step up and protect them and was the only one who would treat killer croc as a person but then her dad would come and say i told you to stay away from this freak he's nothing he ain't nothing and nobody ain't worth crap he's the reptile boy and you stay away from girl and it ends up like that must have sunk in to whalen This is what made him Killer Croc. So he ends up saying to Julia, oh, my God, I tried to get a hold of you. I wanted to, you know, reconnect, see what was going on. You were the only one who treated me as a person. You treated me so well. And then Julie just goes, well, you know, I was watching the news. And, uh, yeah, I know that you're Killer Croc and you're a piece of crap. And you're just a monster that they all thought you were anyway. And that's what you are, a monster. Goodbye, (laughs) Will. And then he goes, "Uh, Julie, I, I. And know what I am. You know what he is. He's rich because he's walking out with the money. I love when you have a bank robbery and the money. There's so much money in the duffel bags. And and these are classic duffel bags because they have the dollar signs on the duffel bags. They're not even like the Sacco money. This is duffel bag money with the dollar sign. Uh, and I, I, you really know that it, it's a lot of money when there's two slashes through the S to make the dollar sign. And he's going, I knew, yeah, he's rich, but money flying all over. <laughs> That's what I like is when they're walking They're so rich they don't care That hundred dollar bills are flying All over they got plenty where that came from But it just ends then It pretty much ends as Yep I'm a monster 
Yeah, out of my way. Killer Croc coming through. Rich Killer Croc coming through, boys. And it's just like, all right, that's, that's weird. Uh, yeah, so this this was a real odd, real odd issue of the Batman Gotham Knights. And nothing I would recommend unless you want a Batman book that has nothing to do with Batman. And even so, these are loose type things anyway, these stories. But really, these were really nothing stories. But even so, with the art, still going to give it because of the 99 cent deal you get two stories i'm gonna give it a 6.5 and i'm gonna move on to the last book of the night all right and the last book is superman man of tomorrow number 12 written by robert van Ditty, art by scott hepburn colors by ian herring letters by dave sharp and a story that's called superman's day off and a lot of people will tell you that the strongest books of this whole digital first deal have been the Van Ditty Superman books. I agree to a point. I think that what Robert Van Ditty does very well is to show you why people love Superman. He ends up always making Superman come out on top in a way that makes him look like a great guy. I, I like that, especially with a Brian Michael Bendis super books that I think are complete and utter bullcrap. At least you do get an option, and it is a safe option at 99 cents to be able to go in, and you are guaranteed that Superman will make you feel good about liking Superman by the time you get done. Now, with that said, we've gotten a bunch of these now, and I'm starting to want something more. I'm starting to need something more to keep praising this, and I haven't even been praising it as much as some. So going into the story, the Superman's Day Off, it's a nice story. It ends up kind of taking a little bit of a cue from the Tom King story back in his run of Batman, where Batman and Wonder Woman went into the demon realm and ended up fighting off demons while the gentleman went off and did his thing for a little, had a little breather, even though that story was criticized for stealing a bit of the thunder of an action comics deal. So maybe this is Venditti. He's taking it back. He's taking it back for the Superbooks. But again, this will show you that Superman is a great guy. And like, again, another thing that I should have said, what Robert Venditti also shows in his stories uh, is the the inspiration that Superman gives. And so in this, that's that's heavy. This is a heavy Superman inspiration story. Superman's going to take a day off. And it's going to be reported in the Daily Planet by Lois. Kind of a silly thing to report ahead of time, even if it is the idea where Perry's like, oh, people, you know, villains are going to find out about this. There's going to be trouble. It's just kind of weird to report of, hey, Superman's going to take a day off. That's what it seems like this is because he hasn't done it yet. So they're really reporting on the potential of a day off, not actually the day off. I think that the big story would have been after the fact. And then by the end, it kind of plays off that it is after the fact, which doesn't make sense of what they know before. It it just the whole wraparound deal with this news story is kind of silly and really doesn't matter. What this is, is that Superman, he's going to go to Atlas, not Tony Atlas, Atlas. He's going to go to the Titan who's holding up heaven and earth and he's going to give him a breather to go do what he has to do and superman's going to take that he's going to end up taking 
that big burden and holding it. Now, with that, at the end, you end up having Atlas like, thanks a lot. You know, I would have missed this very important. Never really find out what that day is. But you end up where it's done in a cool way where you have Superman. He's there. He's holding the plant. He's holding everything, right? It's all being there. It's held. Atlas says you don't really hold it with your arms. You hold it with your heart, things like that. No, nice enough. But as he's holding it, what he ends up doing in a really neat way that Scott Hepburn does with the art is that then Superman is really then seen holding the rest of the story, the rest of the panels. Everything that's going on is what Superman's holding that burden. And what we really see is that with Superman gone, instead of Metropolis falling apart because he's not there, you end up having the citizens of Metropolis step up a bit with the idea of, hey, Superman, he gets a day off. I'm going to fill in a little, right? But you also get a lot of heroes in this as well, including Supergirl. She shows up, Black Canary, Firestorm in a surprise. And I really like that. That's where I think that these digital first books, because they're not in continuity and because you really can play a lot, I wonder why a lot goes so generic. You can have so much fun and every character is up for grabs things. So when I did see Firestorm, it made me smile. But then you also have Flash and things like that. I'll go through this specifically with what's going on in the scenes. But all this is the inspiration of Superman. Everyone even mentions it when they come to save the day. Hey, thanks a lot, Supergirl. Hey, my cousin usually does this. It's about time I, you know, pitch in a little, give him a little, you know, solid. Then you have it go down. Everybody is there because they heard Superman has a day off and they're going to pitch in. And it's nice. It is nice. But you end up where you have a new villain called The Match who's just going through it and burning down a building. And Supergirl just comes and grabs him, takes him out, says, all right, yeah, my super cousin, he he would do this, but he's having a break. You end up having a kid go up in a tree. I think that's the best one. Having the heroes do things, it's fine. But this kid climbs up in a tree to get an old lady's cat. I think that's awesome because that's such a trope. It's such a cliche Superman thing of the, you know, go up and get the cat and having a kid do it for it. I do like that. Well, after you have Supergirl end up bringing in the match, you go and have Silver Banshee, another. See, there's another crazy character you don't see a lot, so that's cool, where Black Canary comes and stops her at the museum and then says, hey, you know, get that museum fixed up. Anything for Superman's town. He's the OG. You know, and as this is going, you see on the bottom there, Superman's holding up the panels. Then you have Kemo. Who, who escapes. He must have escaped from the Metal Men last week because that is the most important book, right? Well, he's gone and he's spitting crazy, toxic goo all over. Well, you end up having Firestorm show up. And the first thing I thought is, I don't know that I want Firestorm around Camo. That seems like a very explosive situation, if you know what I mean. Poop, poop. But he ends up stopping him. And then it's like, hey, thanks a lot, Firestorm. I, I really wanted somebody to be like, Thanks a lot, guy we never see, and I don't know who you are. But Firestorm's like, hey, no problem. Tell Superman I said thanks for everything. Nice, right? Really cool. You end up having just gangsters. Again, this is funny because you're going to get all these. You're going to go classic now. You have inner gang. You have the, the gangsters who are robbing a bank, all these things. And the citizens of Metropolis step up. Old guy with a cane shaking the cane. This is a citizen's arrest, I tells you. Oh, you whippersnappers. And inner gang's like, yeah, we're going to shoot you in the face. 
Thank God Flash shows up. I mean, this could have gotten real ugly, and, and then Superman would have really felt bad. But Flash comes, ends up knocking out inner gang, boom, 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 and then seems to grab the old guy with the can and put him on top of the, the dog pile there. So you end up having him, thanks a lot, Flash, you're a good man. And you get classic lines like, Superman's always there in a crisis. It's the least I can do. In a crisis, right? Must be Superman reborn. So all this is going on. You go back where Jimmy's gotten pictures. Jimmy's everywhere. He is Pulitzer Prize winning photographer here. He has gotten pictures of Camo, Silver Banshee, Inner Gang, all these things. And the funny thing is because you have to end up tying it all together and things like that, you have to have Perry go, Who's the moat with the flamethrower? Oh, um, that's Match. He's new. So Lois says. Also, if you're reading this, look at the panel where Jimmy is giving the photos. All of a sudden, Perry has lost about 30 years and is sexy as all get up there. But then he reverts back. But he's like, all right, well, what's the angle? Superman takes a vacation and, and the whole city goes to crap? And Lois is like, no, no, no. The angle is that Superman inspires everybody, and they come in and pick up the slack because they love the Supermans. All right, well, whatever. When is he getting back anyway? And you see him still holding it. Atlas goes and says, hey there, farm boy. You probably didn't think I'd come back, right? Superman's like, it did cross my mind. I mean, I really could have been in big trouble. I didn't know what I was getting into. He's like, oh, thanks a lot. You know, thanks for having everything for me this ends up being a sacrifice a day no father should miss i'm like all right uh and then he ends up saying then oh my daughter calypso was radiant at her wedding so they do throw it in there i wish you would have known beforehand and superman kind of showed up out of nowhere to do this but yeah he got to go to his daughter's wedding and superman's like no problem yeah you end up hey you know it's it's a burden it's all that And you end up having Atlas with the best lines where he says, perhaps only you understand, as I do, those charged with the weight of the world would never wish it on another, though it's good to know others will help when you need it. Don't you agree? And he does agree. He says, I'm going to agree. I'm just going to fall asleep right here. That was pretty tough. And it's good. But then you go. And in a weird way, you set up Metallo last issue. Now we have a little more Metallo here where Metallo is pissed because Metallo says, listen, I could have ran out there and I could have stopped all this stuff. I could have been the hero and you end up having Sam Lane. No, no, no. We don't want you to be the hero. You're going to end up destroying Superman when he's at its worst. But then he ends up saying your mission, your one mission goes when Superman goes wrong and he will. No one with power stays pure. Be ready until that day comes. And it seems as if like that's like, yeah, we were just kind of showing him a tell, but he's not going to do anything because even it says next last lap. I don't know how long then did he will be on this again and whatnot, but I want to see Metallo again. This was a nice deal. And at the end, the kid's like, gee, I wish I could be the heroes like anybody can be a hero. There's Clark there. He's like, anybody can be a hero, takes off his glasses and pretty much is like, don't you you see, kid? (laughs) I'm the Supermans, but you end up with that being the end. And like I said, it says next last laugh. And overall, it's nice. It's a nice enough deal. I love the characters that show up. Uh, so I'm I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I just, I need a little more. And I would love to have a three-part 
Metallo story. Maybe we will get something like that eventually. I just need something a little bigger, a little more important. I see when people people do love especially this book and they'll praise it. And it is a good thing to recommend to people if they haven't read comics. If that there was a guy who was on Twitter uh, and and talking about, hey, you know, what should I do? I want to get in the comics. Anybody suggest things. And, and you would kind of think, well, a digital first deal like, but it is actually the perfect deal to get people into comics, especially a Superman in this book, because it's cheap. So you're going to read it. You're not going to spend a lot of money on it. So you're not expecting way, way too much, things like that. And it's, you know, it's cheap. So you get it. And it does give you the blueprint of how to get a good Superman in a comic, how to show people what makes Superman great. I, I That's why I like it. But when you get past that point, if you're there and you have read a bunch of Superman and you need something a little more than just like, like I know Superman's great. That's why I love Superman legitimately, which I don't say this often. I am more of a Superman fan than a Batman fan. I really love Superman, but I need a little more now. And this isn't giving me that. It's almost just like this is there to just maintain the level. But I need to step it up. I need something that's going to wow me. And I would love to have Ben Diddy give me a story that's still hopeful, still inspirational, but something a little more hard hitting. Because nowadays, unfortunately, a lot of writers and, you know, a lot of writers at D.C., they think that the only way to step it up is to go dark. The only way to step it up is to change things so much that the character does not appear as we love him and know him or her. And so what I would like in something like this is for Venditti to step it up so that I can be inspired, but also be wowed. Also have something where I can say you want a real good. I don't care if you're a longtime Superman fan or if you just started. This is an awesome story. When I see Venditti, what I get out of this, this is a awesome Superman. The story kind of gets, you know, it's it's kind of lesser than that, but it still gives you that character. So I don't want to beat that into the ground too much, but yeah, it, I still recommend it. Though so that that Batman Gotham Knights very odd, such an odd, such an odd deal, really. But that's it for the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope that. If you haven't checked out the digital first books, even if it isn't this issue of Superman, even if you go and get what I love the most is deceased uh, hope for what is it? Hope for the world's end, whatever the heck it's called. (laughs) I'm so tired right now. My brain is fried. But I hope that, you know, go and check out some of these. It's a very easy price of admission, 99 cents. Check them out. Even if you haven't read you know, some stuff, even if you haven't read digital, uh, it's it's some fun stuff. There's some stuff to have fun with, even if you are, I need the book in my hands. Well, these are a little different and they're written a little differently like that. So check it out. I, I got to get out of here before I pass out. But thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, and I will talk to you later.